I lost my stuff on the way up here. Hang on. Up here. I apologize. Is that working? Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, I hope that we have made you feel welcome. If we haven't, I hope you'll give us another chance. Um, this is a, a body of believers that, that really enjoys being together. Um, we also are, uh, are happy to see one another when we come together. And, and I hope that you see that and uh, that you want to be a part of that. We, we are also, if you've been around, you've heard me say repeatedly that prayer is the work of the church. It's something we take very seriously. We just, we just finished a uh, 40 days of, of, of fervent prayer and uh, where we as a congregation were joining together in prayer individually, corporately, in our homes. And um, I hope that, uh, that, that you were part of that. I, I want you to understand that we, we take that very seriously. And so uh, we're going to go to God in prayer before we begin. And I'm going to ask that uh, you join with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all you've blessed us with, Lord. We thank you for being able to come here this morning. We thank you for the ability to sing praises to your name. We thank you for the, the, the wonderful opportunity to commune with you, to, to sit at the Lord's table and, and to take of bread and take of the cup and remember our Lord and Savior. And we mostly thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. Lord, we ask that, uh, that you be among us. Um, we have uh, many of our number who are hurting because of lost loved ones. We have many of our number who are sick and, and who have struggled with health issues. And Lord, we just ask your blessings and your presence to be upon us. As we look into your word this morning, we ask that you, uh, you speak to us. Lord, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't listen to Jeff's word. We ask that, that you put your word in our hearts and, and in our minds. Bless us, Lord, this morning. Help us to do all that we do to the glory and honor of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Australians were upset a couple of months ago because of a couple of tourists. These guys were uh, backpackers or whatnot that, that were uh, in, in vacation in Australia. And they did a lot of diving and, and fishing and stuff on the reefs and the coast. And they, uh, at one point, caught an octopus. And uh, at some point, they decided to play with this octopus. They videoed it. It's uh, on YouTube. Uh, and, and basically, they're dangling this little octopus over one another and dropping it on their skin and, and, and playing with it. There it is. And, and just silly, ignorant stuff. But the, the, the Australians got upset because they felt like they were uh, abusing the wildlife. The Australians take their wildlife very seriously. But uh, government officials, scientists at the Ocean Conservancy finally got in contact with these guys to tell them that what they were playing with was the blue-ringed octopus, and it is one of the deadliest animals in the world. It has a venom that, that can kill 26 human beings in about two minutes, and uh, there's no anti-venom for it. If this idiot, I mean, this young man would have been bitten right there, he would have died before they could have got him to the hospital. And the guys, as you can imagine, were, uh, uh, we didn't get the video of the reactions, but they, they were astonished when they found this out. And uh, hopefully they learned something, because there are some things, there are some things you don't play with. 
And everybody's not that lucky. A few years ago, there was a, a, a news report not far from here in, uh, in, outside of Beaumont where uh, a, a guy was at a marina and uh, he had been uh, imbibing and decided that he was going to jump in the lake. Now, there were signs posted all around the marina that said, no swimming, there are alligators present. Um, but this guy thought, that's nothing, that's, that's silly. You know, like we go to the state park and it says they're alligators, no big deal, not, we're not worried about that. And, and the, the people that worked there were yelling at him, stop, don't do this, stop, stop. He jumped in the lake and he went swimming. A 12-foot alligator attacked him and he died. There are some things you don't play with and the signs are there for a reason. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, I, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn over to Malachi um, that's where we'll be starting. It's, it's the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew and the New Testament. And, and if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say welcome. I, want to, I hope that you feel welcomed here. We would like you to, to get to know us better. And, and to do that, we've had a, a lunch prepared. One of our share groups is, is providing lunch for visitors, new members, and college students. And so if you fit into one of those categories, stop over there. I promise you they'll give you a good meal. You will be treated well. You will have a great time. It's a 100% guarantee. If you are not 100% satisfied, you can kick the deacon of your choice. Um, we will provide that opportunity for you. Um, but seriously, we hope you stick around and, and are a part of that. Second, let me tell you what you've kind of stumbled into this week. We are, in, we are starting a series where we're talking about money. And you were not supposed to do that, but Jesus thought money was very important. And so we're trying to be followers of, of Jesus, and so that's why we're talking about this. We're calling this series In God We Trust because it is about trusting God with our money. Now, I can tell you I wasn't always very good at that. Um, I told you last week if you want to figure out how, how to grow your wealth, figure out what Jeff's doing and do the opposite. But... That's not my skill set. There are some people, even in this congregation, you're really good at making money, you're good at managing money. I'm not one of those people. However, um, as, as I was studying a while back, I, I, I became convicted that I wasn't giving of my means like I ought to. And I, I had a mentor that I met with weekly. And, and I was talking to him about it. I was struggling with it. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm having a problem with this because I feel like I should. But, but when I look at my bank statement, you know, there's, there's more month left at the end of the money. than You know what I'm talking about. And he said, that's the problem, Jeff. This is not a financial problem. This is a trust problem. Do you trust God with your finances? Now, that convicted me. I don't know about you. Maybe you've struggled with the same thing. Last week, we began to talk about how giving is our corporate act of worship. And hopefully, you went home and you started looking at, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I, am I giving of the blessings that God has given me. That's what we're talking about. Can we truly trust God with our money? This week we're in the book of Malachi because God addresses giving through this prophet. Malachi speaks to the Israelites in a post-exile period when, when the temple has been completed and a and hundred years have passed and the Israelites come back 
and, and they're in this place where they're not bringing their offerings. They're, they're going through the motions religiously. There's intermarriage with foreigners. And, and they're, they're doing a lot of things that God's not happy with. And so the book begins with the statement by Malachi that God loves the people. God says, I have loved you. And they say, really? How? How have you loved us? Malachi goes on and he says, God says, you, you, you have despised me. And they say, really? How have we despised you? You see the pattern here. Malachi is showing this pattern that demonstrates the hardness of their heart. That, that they have hardened their heart against God. Now, it's easy for us to sit in judgment on that and look at these people and go, oh, you, you're, you're hard-hearted people. I'm glad, I'm glad we're not like that. But the truth is that we have a lot in common with those people. It's possible, like these people, for us to come to worship regularly and still have a heart that's hard. It's possible for us to to go through the motions and the rituals every week like they were doing and still be far apart from God in our relationship. Robert Alden, in his commentary on Malachi, says it this way, intimate familiarity with holy matters conduces to treating them with indifference. The, the great Princeton professor uh, and theologian B.B. Warfield wrote to his seminary students, it's all in danger of becoming common to you. God forgive you, you're in danger of becoming weary of God. When things of God become commonplace, when, when we feel like we've got Scripture all figured out, when we feel like God has nothing left to say to me, I'm in danger of having a hard heart. When I feel like that, that coming to God, salvation, is a five-finger checklist, and that's all I need to worry about. When I feel like coming to worship is a series of worship events that need to be checked off so I can get my card punched, I'm in danger of having a hard heart. When we find ourselves more concerned about form than function, when we find ourselves more concerned with tradition than emotion, when we find ourselves more concerned with looking good than having a relationship with God, we're in danger of having our hearts hardened. We have lost our awe. We've lost the, the concept that we're coming into the presence of the God of hosts, the God Most High, the one who can create a Pacific Ocean with a word. And we don't realize we don't belong in that setting. We don't belong in His presence. And we're no longer humbled. We're no longer broken when we come into His presence. God says to the people in Malachi's day, it'd be better if you just shut the whole thing down. He says in Malachi 1 verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. That's a scary statement. God says when we come to Him with hard hearts, we're despising His name. We have set ourselves in a place of contention and opposition against the Lord of hosts. Now, if that doesn't terrify you, I'm going to say real bluntly, you need to check your heart. Because that should be scary. The God of creation, the God most high, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, who was and is and is to come, says that our heart and hearts make us enemies of God. And that's not a place I want to be. So I want to know how do I check my heart? 
How can I tell if, if, if I'm hardened? If, if, how can I tell if I'm calloused? Lord, if, if I'm still coming to church, I'm still here, I'm still present, how do I know if my heart is hard? Remember last week we said that one of the barometers of, of, of people, one of the barometers of organizations, you can determine the priority of a person or an organization by how their money is spent. Now, that's what Malachi tells the people of Israel. When they ask, how have we despised your name? The answer is related to their offerings. God tells the people of Malachi's day that they're bringing him the scraps, the leftovers, the junk. They're presenting it as an offering. And he calls that evil. Malachi verse, chapter 1, verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi says, try that with your banker. When your mortgage is due this week, go to him and say, well, you know, I had other things this month, and so I really can't bring you the full mortgage payment. I, I'm just going to have to make that up to you. Or, or, or I'm going to be out of town this month, so I, I'm going to have to make that up. at a di- See if that works. Malachi says, try that with the IRS. Go to the IRS and say, well, I know you say that I owe this much, but all I got in my pocket this week is a couple of dollars and a breath mint. Can I just give you that? We know how that's going to work out. But that's what we do with God. We come to God and we say, well, God, I got bills to pay and I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait. God, I I know that I've promised you this much, but, you know, it's been a rough month and I had some unexpected expenses and you're just going to have to take the leftovers. God says that's evil. We're just like the Israelites sometimes. Now, a lot of us say, well, you tell him, Jeff. I'm glad he wasn't preaching to me this summer, this sermon. Unfortunately, we're preaching to all of us. Americans give somewhere around $127 billion in church offerings. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. $127 billion. And that looks impressive until you look at the rest of our spending. Because Americans spend nearly $800 billion in bars and restaurants in a year. A year. $127 billion to the church, $800 billion to our bellies. Now, we spend as a country somewhere around $223 billion on binge drinking. I know, that's rough, right? We spend over $300 billion as a country on stress treatments. And we don't think any of these things are connected. That, that maybe I'm self-medicating with alcohol. Maybe I'm stressed to the breaking point. Maybe I'm doing all these things because I'm living under a curse. You see, there are some things you don't play with. And God's at the top of that list. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, God says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Did you catch that? God says the one who vows an offering and brings the junk is a cheat. And he says that person is cursed. Now let me make this real clear. If we're struggling to make ends meet, 
If I'm having trouble, whether I'm making $100 a month or $1,000 a month or $100,000, if I'm struggling no matter what, it may be that I'm living under a curse. It may be that God is saying, you are cheating me, you are despising me, you are robbing me, and you're living under a curse. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, God says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Man will rob God, yet you're robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. You are cursed and you are robbing me, says God. Now, I've had people tell me, well, Jeff, that's under the old covenant. That's under, that's under the old covenant when we actually had microphones that worked. That's under the old. That's under the old covenant. God doesn't require a tithe anymore. Unfortunately, eh, yes, you're right. God does not require a 10% of your wages. The new covenant under Jesus is not based on our works of righteousness. It's not based on uh, our ritual or, or how much or whether we're fulfilling the law perfectly. So you're right, but you're wrong. Because God doesn't want a, a 10% anymore. You're right. He wants 100%. See, God says... If any man will come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He's got to die. He's got to die. See, God doesn't want 10%. He wants 100%. You still don't believe me? Turn over to Acts 5. Hold your finger in Malachi. Turn over to Acts 5. Acts chapter 5 tells a story of the early church and people who lived under a curse. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to humans, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband and this is the understatement. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You need to hear me this morning. There's some things you don't play with. God should be at the top of that list. There are some things you shouldn't play with. Now, in a few weeks, 
this church is going to come together corporately. And, and, and we're going to come together and we're going to make vows before God. Now, b- before you freak out on me, I'm not going to be coming around checking you. I'm not going to be checking what you wrote down. That's none of my business. This is between you and God. The Bible says you give whatever's on your heart. But we're going to do this because we're making a vow. And people say, well, Jeff, why, why should I have to make a vow? Well, it's the same thing as marriage. In Malachi, Malachi likens marriage to our offering. And he says, you're making a vow before God. You're making a vow to your wife. Nobody comes around and checks to see if you're actually following through on that vow. So why would you need to make a public vow? Well, you make a public vow because you're saying publicly, I'm going to love, honor, and cherish this woman until I die. And so we're going to make a vow. As a corporate group, as a, as a church we're going to come together and, and, and we're going to purpose our money. We're going to say, God, this is how much I'm going to purpose for you in the coming year. Now, there's a few reasons for that. First, giving is our act of worship. And it's so important to us in this church that, that we want to emphasize it. Because we do believe that there are, there are times when we are in danger of hardened hearts. There are times when we are in danger of, of making our money more valuable than our God. And so we're making an opportunity for this church to corporately purpose our money. And so we're understanding that God is calling us to higher standards. We're going to try putting Him first in the coming year. That's the first priority. Second, making a vow helps hold me accountable. Not to anybody else, not to Jeff, not to the elders, not to the deacons. It doesn't matter about that. It helps to hold me accountable to myself. See, when you go home and you sit down with your finances as a family and you say, okay, what can we purpose for God for the coming year? Then I'm adding that into my budget at the beginning. See, that's what God calls first fruits. And I'm going to make that decision before the year starts so that I am holding myself accountable. And when that water heater breaks down and I'm tempted to take that money, I'm going to resist that temptation and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to continue to trust you. I'm going to continue to put you first that's how that vow holds me accountable finally the the leadership of this church takes our responsibility with God's money very very seriously because I don't want to be guilty of robbing God I don't want to be guilty of abusing God's money And, and so we want to be good stewards with that we have lots of ministries lots of missions lots of works that are dependent on this body this is not just about keeping the lights on or the doors open this is about the reach of this congregation and the ripples that come out of this church all over the world by having a true picture of our years giving we have a better idea of what's to come we can make better decisions we can make better promises to our missionaries we can make better promises to our our ministries and and it gives us more information to make better decisions to bless this community and the world now hear me there are some things you don't play with and so if you hear that and you decide to come and and you say well i'm going to vow this because it looks good right now but i'm going to fall back don't do that Okay, that's the curse. That's what Malachi says is the curse. And that's what killed Ananias and Sapphira, promising one thing and doing something else. So don't do that. What Malachi condemns is the one who makes a vow and doesn't follow through with it because there are some things you shouldn't play with. But let me leave you with this this morning. 
Peter told Ananias and Sapphira, why would you test the Spirit of God? God in Malachi says He's not demanding anything. It's not about demanding a 10% tithe to demonstrate your righteousness. God is looking at your heart, and He is making a promise. God's going to dare you to test Him. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. God says, I triple dog dare you. Try me. Try me. This is the only place in Scripture where God dares you to test Him. Test me on this. Bring your full tithe. Bring your offering. Put me first. Trust in me. If you trust in me, I'm going to blow the doors off of you. So, if you're tired of living under the curse, If you're sick of struggling, if you're sick of stretching, if you're sick of failing over and over again, God says, try me. You've tried it your way. Try me. Put me to the test. Put me first and see if the floodgates of heaven don't open. God says, if you don't play with me, if you put me first, if you make the right decisions about me instead of your money, I promise you, It will be a blessing to you. In May of this year in Kingston, Jamaica, a young 24-year-old mother was on her way to buy milk. That's actually her real picture. She was on her way to buy milk with the last money that she had. She had two boys, one nine years old and one two. And and she didn't have a refrigerator, so she had to buy small gallons of milk uh, every day because boys of that age go through lots of milk. And she had just lost her job a a, a few weeks before because the hotel that she was working at got bought out and everybody got laid off while they redid it and all that stuff. And she couldn't find another job and she was struggling. She stopped at a, a kiosk there in front of the police station because she was trying to call her mother. She didn't have a cell phone. She has to use a pay phone. Kids, your parents will explain to you later what that is. Um... She, she had to stop and make a call to her mother to beg to borrow $200 so that her electricity wouldn't get paid, turned off. And so she's making that call. Her two-year-old's playing at her feet. She noticed that he's playing with this bag over here, and she's not paying attention to it until she goes to pick him up. When she goes to pick him up, she looks in this bag, and this bag is filled with banknotes, 5000 100, 5000 10000 1000 over and over and over, a, a big bag full Millions of dollars sitting at her feet. This money would have brought stability, would have brought security, would have set her for the rest of her life. Acacia would later tell a reporter, I'm not going to attempt the Jamaican accent, I don't play with things like that. So this struggling, desperate mother takes her two-year-old and a bag full of millions of dollars a bag which could bring stability and security to her family, and she walks into the police station and turns it in. When the newspaper interviewed her family for the story later, her mother says she is the stupidest of all my children. (laughs) 
because she felt like she could have kept the money, or at least some of it. But Acacia said in that interview, I don't play with things like that. Now, a few weeks ago, Acacia received a call from a corporation. This was the corporation, the company, to whom that money had belonged. This corporation was so grateful that they presented her with a check for $1.2 million. Not only that, they represented her with a a, a legal uh, company and set up educational trusts for both of her students, or both of her children. Not only that, they represented her with a milk company in Kingston, Jamaica, to have milk delivered to her house for the rest of her life. See, there's some things you don't play with. And God says, if you put me first, if you do the right thing, instead of worrying about your money, the blessings will come. The blessings will come. God says, try me. It's all about trust. Try me. Do you trust me enough to do the right thing? Do you trust the one who created everything? Or do you trust in the created things? God says, try me. Do it my way and see if things don't work out better. We can start that way this morning by submitting to him. I I don't know about you, but as I prepared this lesson, I found myself begging for forgiveness a lot. This is one of those lessons where uh, I, I tell everybody I got done and I, I got down on my knees and I said, God, are you sure? I'm not sure I want to preach this one because I'm not qualified to say this. I'm, I'm struggling with my money just like you are, but I'm convicted in my heart that if I submit my finances to God, if I give that to God, He's going to bless me. The gravity of these scriptures start to weigh on me, and I realize that I've got to honor God with my money. I've got to put God first. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to lift Him up and give Him the first fruits of everything I have. And, and maybe you need to do the same. This morning... I'm going to ask our elders and their wives to be at the back of the room. There's a reason for that, because I want you to feel comfortable and not feel judged when you go to ask for prayer. Um, We're going to put them back there, and as we sing this song, um, I'm going to ask you to go find somebody to pray with you. And not to tell them your bank account or any of that stuff. I don't care about that. Go back there and say, look, I'm convicted by this. I need you to lift me up. Now, that's not the only reason you need to go back there. If you need prayer this morning, that's what we're here for. And, and so if you're struggling with your health, if you're struggling with your finances, if you're struggling with, with whatever it is, I want you to go back there and I want you to say, please lift me up. You don't even have to tell them what it is. They're, we're not, this is not confession time. You tell them, you know what, I need you to pray with me. God knows what's going on inside of me. You don't need to. They're okay with that. They will pray with you. They will lift you up. James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Or the old way, availeth much. That's what that's about this morning. If you want to do something publicly, if you want us to pray with you as a corporate body, as a church, we are thrilled to do that. And you come up here to the front, we will pray with you this morning. We will lift you up as a body. That's what we're here for. 
If you need to publicly submit to God for the first time and say, I don't want to just give you my finances, I want to give you my all. I want to give myself to you as a a believer. I want to be buried with you in baptism. I want to be raised to a new life. We will rejoice because that's why we're here. We want you to do that. That's what this song is about right now. And so as we sing this song, I encourage you, step out, trust God. Trust Him. There are some things you don't play with. Don't play with God. Trust Him this morning, right now, while together we stand and sing. Give me the heart of a servant, tender and faithful and true. Fill me with love, then use me, O Lord, so that the world can see you. Please give me the heart of a servant, tender and faithful and true. Fill me with love.